You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, episode 105, and today we're talking about the future of business, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Samantha Riley, and after being in business for 20 years, I took the leap of faith from a traditional bricks and mortar business into the online world and created a business based around my expertise. Now I have a life that gives me the freedom to work wherever I have an internet connection. I'm now obsessed with helping the unheard experts who are brilliant at what they do but feel like the world's best kept secret transform to influential thought leaders, all while creating a business which gives them the freedom to create their life by design. Join me as we explore the strategies that you can implement to create and grow a business based on your expertise. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leaders Business Lab. I'm super excited to be hanging out here with you for another Monday episode. It's so nice in Sydney today. It feels like spring is in the air. It feels like winter is coming to a close. Well, hopefully it is. I really don't like the cold. But anyway, I was out on a walk with my hubby Leon this morning. We actually go walking every single morning. And we're waiting at the pedestrian crossing, waiting to cross the the main road to head up back towards home. And a woman came flying down the road and ran across six lanes of traffic. I thought she was insane doing that. You know, it was peak hour and she managed to safely get across the other side of the road. She was running up the road, but it happened so quickly. I was thinking, what is she doing? And I looked up the road and, and quite a ways up the road, there was a bus there it had been there for a little while because I had noticed that a little bit before. Big, you know, double decker, bright yellow buses. They're not, uh, they're not hard to miss. Anyway, it had been there for a while, and um, obviously she was running to the bus. And I turned to Leon and I said, "There is no way she's going to make that bus." You know, it was it was quite a way up, and you know what? She actually did. She did make the bus. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, I want to share this because it got me to thinking, I think that this is a scenario that happens to us every day as entrepreneurs and business owners, people saying things on the sideline, there's no way she's going to do that, or he's not going to be able to do that. You know, she won't get that program off the ground. He's not going to be able to succeed doing that, or he'll be back in a job. You know, you get the idea. And even though we start out knowing that we're going to be successful, that we're going to make this business thing work, the negative thoughts start to creep in. But I want to ask you a question. What if you knew you could experience financial and lifestyle freedom while you were growing your business? Now, you actually can. And my friend Matthew Paddy and I are running a free masterclass this Thursday evening, and it's called the Million Dollar Operating System. And we're going to share the new seven-figure blueprint for 2020 and beyond so that you can shift from the stress and overwhelm of the daily hustle and grind to experience financial and lifestyle freedom, as well as impacting on a global level. So if you would like to join us on Thursday evening, we would love to have you with us. Uh, It's the kind of masterclass where you bring your paper and your pen 
uh, your cup of tea, your glass of wine, whatever it is. We're going to sit down, have a great chat, share lots of information and knowing Matthew and I sharing a few laughs along the way, I would think as well. So to register for the masterclass, just go to samanthariley.global forward slash masterclass. That's samanthariley.global forward slash masterclass to register for the million dollar operating system. Super looking forward to having you hang out with us today. We are talking about the future of business. Totally ties in. And I am welcoming Andrew Griffiths to the show. He's an entrepreneurial futurist and helps individuals and organizations to future proof themselves in a rapidly changing world. He's written 13 best selling books, sold in over 65 countries. He's delivered over five hundred keynote presentations uh, in countries as diverse as Iran, England, India, and Japan. He's got a long list of corporate clients as well as working with entrepreneurs to help them to build their influence and future-proof their business. So let's jump into today's episode with Andrew Griffiths. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Andrew. It's so awesome to have you here joining me here today. Thank you, Sam. Lovely, lovely to be here. And, and it was so funny. We just uh, off air. We we've just had this great rave for the last thirty minutes, and uh, we're both just saying you should have you should have pressed uh, record thirty minutes ago. I so wish I had a press record thirty minutes ago because we have had an amazing conversation already. But I know that we're going to dive even deeper down the rabbit hole. That, no, I, I, got, I got nothing there. <laughs> we've crawled our way back up to the top. No, you're coming down with me. You're coming down there. <laughs> but look, before we start, I'd love you to share with the listeners what it is that you do and the types of clients you work with. That's just going to be a really beautiful beginning. Sure. Well, I'm an author, so I'm a business author. That's my main claim to fame. I've written 13 books in the last uh, 20 years, soon to be 14 if I mm-hmm. am disciplined enough to uh, be able to do that. And uh, all, you know, I started writing about 20 years ago and my first book was 101 Ways to Market Your Business. And it was a simple, easy guide and it was just, it became ridiculously successful. And then that led on to my publisher saying, can you write another one? Can you write another one? Can you write another one? And that's what I have been doing for that time. Of course, I speak as well today. I've been a professional speaker for a long, long time. And I have the great fortune of talking about what's happening in business, commentating around what's happening with business around the world, curating content and creating my own content in that entrepreneurial space. And today, I really consider myself to be an entrepreneurial futurist. And that is a a funky little term, I guess, which really translates to the fact that I I specialize in helping people to future-proof themselves. And uh, whether it's an individual, whether it's a business, an entrepreneur of sorts, or even large companies. And because of that, most of the clients, well, I have two kinds of clients. I work with individuals in business through coaching and so forth. I help people to write books. I help people to become speakers. But I also work on larger projects and my clients that have been, you know, in the last few years, kind of everyone from the European Union. I did a tour of England for them to talk to businesses about how to transition post-Brexit. Bottom line is no one has no, any idea. <laughs> Recently, I've, I've been to Iran. I spent uh, a week in Iran talking to a group of 700 entrepreneurs there uh, about customer experiences and I've had the, the great pleasure of working for about 500 companies around the world in that 20-year period on all kinds of things to do with business, entrepreneurialism, 
etc. So that's my snapshot hero kind of reel. Love it, love it. Now, so you've been in business for a really long time and I don't mean that you're a super old man there. I mean that, you know. I understand that. We're the the people that are now looking and going, oh, look at these millennials. They're coming out on the stuff that, that, you know, we've been teaching for 20 or 30 years. What was it that had you moving into this entrepreneurial space in the first place? It's a really interesting question. I think, like most of us, I think I just fell into it. Uh-huh. You know, like I, I, I had an entrepreneurial gene, but there was I didn't have any environment around me. There was no entrepreneurial role model in my world. I mean, I grew up as an orphan. I had a very kind of challenging childhood and got into crime and drugs and alcohol as a teenager and, and, and did that fairly predictable kind of path when you've been in state care as a kid. And, you know, you follow down that road. But also at the same time, I had the strength of character to know that I wanted more and kind of broke away a bit from that life. And I, I got a job in a, in a dive shop when I was 17 and then I just bought it in the 80s. When you walked into a bank and said, can I have 25 grand? And they went, sure. Gave uh, it to yeah. you. you didn't need any security. You didn't need anything. It's almost like the bank manager just gave you a wad full of money. God, I miss those days. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, <laughs> I've got a very similar story, you know, and it is different now. It's, it's, it's so different. So I, I fell into it, no idea what I was doing, made all the mistakes that you do in business and learnt a lot of stuff the hard way. I mean, I knew how to dive and I was a commercial diver, but it doesn't mean you know how to run a business, of course. Yeah. And that was hilarious. And my greatest, that was my university degree was that particular. I mean, the dive shop was 30 kilometres from the ocean, right? So think <laughs> about the think about the, the stroke of genius involved in, in that. It, it, that doesn't really, inst- it just, that doesn't tell you everything. I don't know what really does. How did a dive shop even survive 30 kilometres from the ocean? Oh, it, it was hardcore. It, it was hard work. But I, I made most of my money, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, people would be out in their boats drunk in the Hawkesbury River and run into things and sink their boats. So Sunday afternoon for me was mostly going down and recovering boats that have sunk somewhere in the Hawkesbury River. Or, you know, the oyster farmers went over the front of his boat and his teeth have fallen out, you know, and, and, you, you know, I'm, and they've, got a tight little boy around the, the oyster leaf and I'll go and get their teeth or their wrenches or their car keys or whatever's fallen out. So a lot of it was that or clearing balls out of dams on golf courses and things. So it was all very, wow. stuff. very, very entrepreneurial there. And, and, and I think the entrepreneurial gene kind of started and I've really worked for myself ever since. So, you know, it's been the best part of 35 years with a few brief stints of working for companies. I spent five years working for a Japanese company, which was really interesting. And it still holds a fascination for me in the longevity stakes uh-huh. of how, you know, this the, the Japanese companies have been dealing with a changing world. So that's a whole other kettle of fish, which I'm sure we'll get to at some stage. Absolutely, because I really want to dive into the future of business with you today because that's mm. what we were talking about before we hit record. So... You have been in business for a while. What do you see is different now besides being able to go to a bank and get a loan for a business <laughs> like you and I both did when we first started our businesses? What's different now than it was back then? What's changing? What do you see as the biggest challenge that business has right now? And also mm. the flip side, what's the biggest opportunity? Oh, my God, that's a big, big question. That is a super you know, big question, big but I know you can handle it. <laughs> I can handle it. I, I, I can handle a big, big question. It's really interesting. Like I always say, though, too, that, you know, I I used to even teach stuff, I guess, and have my philosophies about doing business that I, as I slowly learned stuff. 
and you know, and I've been speaking as a you know helping businesses for twenty years, and I say the difference between me now and then is I say the same stuff, but now I believe it. That was a different. I would kind of parrot you know stuff that I'd read and and talk about. It's important to have great customer experiences. Rah rah. I don't know that I really understood how important it was. Now the difference is I have so much conviction about what I see. Doing business, as you know, Sam, and this is stuff that that you know you and I are such similar kind of paths. And as we were saying off air, we don't go, we don't want to have the the romanticism of when I, you know, it was so much easier when I was a boy, and it, and it was so much tougher when 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 I was in business. You know, or, you know, back then, it's just different. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's just different. It's different, yeah. and, and, and the things that were easier, like. I was the only dive school in the area, so anyone who wanted to dive, anyone who was lived 30 kilometres from the ocean had this burning desire to go diving, would come and see me. Anyone who sunk their boat would come and see me. Anyone who lost their false teeth, you know, in, in Brooklyn would come and see me. And uh, and so you had this this kind of thing. The next dive shop was probably 20 kilometres away, mm-hmm. you know. So we had that, that wonderful thing that we didn't realise at the time that it really wasn't as competitive. But yeah. in the same vein, there wasn't as much money around there weren't as many customers so it's that yin and yang or, or the you know it was you could put an ad in a newspaper and get business mm-hmm. when was the last time someone put an ad in a newspaper and got business yeah. you know like at, at a small business level it, it's changed so much so even as i progressed through my little world i ran a marketing company for a, a number of years we used to think how hard it was and we would have really when we're doing a marketing plan you can do tv radio newspaper outdoor and probably a letterbox drop, uh-huh. you know, four or five mediums to choose from. You had to get your message really right. But that was it. Now, of course, there's 5,000 mediums yes. and channels and and options and, and all the rest of it. So I go back 35 years and I go, well, I thought it was complicated, but I realise now it was actually a lot simpler, but there were different complications. Yes. Not as much money, harder to sell. People, they just weren't as... Ophay about disposable income and all that kind of jazz. I've moved forward to now in the world that I live in and the businesses I see around the world and the, the challenges are that, uh, or the, the great things are that we have access to the world. You know, we, as we all know, we, it's, it's a global market for most of us. I certainly work with people in 20 to 30 countries around the world, quite standard, and, and so do so many of the people that I do business with. It's easy. If you're great at what you do, if you're really good at what you do, people can find you. Yes. And that's a really big change. And my new book is called Someone's Got to Be the Most Expensive, It May As Well Be You. And nice. it's entirely on this concept of don't be cheap, be, you know, charge what you're worth because people can find you now. And, you know, we're hearing about the couple that have given up the corporate life. They've bought 20 acres of land. They're running 30 cows and they're making camembert. And they sell their cam- the best camembert in Australia. They go to the markets in their local town every Saturday morning and they sell their 300 things of camembert, generate three grand or whatever it is, and they're doing that really, really, really well and everyone knows about it. What I'm seeing now is that we can niche down, we can, we can, we have this great opportunity to attract customers from around, you know, from all over the place. If you're good at what you do, people will find you, you know, all of that stuff. The complication though at the moment is that it's so competitive it's got harder to communicate online and, and it's got very cluttered online. And we all know that Zuckerberg, you know, farts and the Facebook <laughs> algorithm changes and yep. all of a sudden we drop down here, we do this, we 
all been inundated with the joy of SEO and now we all realize that it's kind of a polar hickey. You know, yeah. then we've got Google ad work. You know, it, it's got the marketing side of things, I believe, has got very complex. Yes. Uh, and, and getting more complex by the day. And we're putting a lot of time and energy into that. But are we putting as much time and energy into our products and what we're actually creating and the experience for our customers that you and I were chatting about earlier on? So, so the world is very different in where we're at now. And the biggest challenge, apart from being heard, in my humble opinion, which means I'm about to be preachy, um, <laughs> really is about staying relevant. Yes. You know, and, and as someone who's been in the space for a long time, and again, something that you and I were chatting about before is it's very easy to lose relevance because consumers are so open to new stuff. And yeah. You live in a world addicted to new and if you don't keep coming up with new stuff, if you don't keep coming up with a better form of communication, if you don't keep reinventing yourself and staying relevant, and if you don't make the experience even better, customers will find someone who, who does. Absolutely. <clears throat> and that's the challenge in business now. And I go back 35 years, just being in the right spot, really you've got whoever's going to want to buy. It's up to you then to lose them. Now we've got to, we've got to fight a lot harder, I think, for all of those kind of things. And going forward, if we then look about the next stage of uh, doing business, I think it's like, uh, how would you describe it? I did a, a, a lecture, Sam, at um, Griffith University last year, I think it was, on the future of work. And, you know, the whole thing we've all spoken about, there's all these new jobs that are appearing and mm-hmm. most of the jobs that we're, kids are going to be in haven't been invented yet. And it was really interesting because I was talking at Griffith Uni because there are a whole pile of people there with science degrees who don't use them. You know, they get a science degree, but then they get a job in something that they don't need yep. the degree. They're yep. working in small businesses. Yes. Uh, which is really interesting. And they were asking me to try and do it like a Tinder thing between the, the people with degrees and the small business owners to get them to actually kind of communicate, which was hilarious. But it got me thinking about, well, what does the future of business look like? You know, we're talking about all these new kind of jobs that are going to appear. I think the future of business is exactly tied into that. I think they're going to be an extraordinary level of new opportunities for us as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as jobs get a bit lighter on the ground, people will have to become entrepreneurial. Yeah. I really think this is that rising age of the entrepreneur, you know, where everyone will in some shape or form have the opportunity to either be selling something, teaching skill sets. You look at it like... One example of that, Sam, then I'll let you get a word in, edgewise in there somewhere, <laughs> was about this concept of one of the new jobs of the future is a rewilder. And, uh, uh, what? Hang on, sorry, a what? A rewilder, it's called, rewilder. Okay. And what it is uh, in Japan, this is very, very popular, where people actually uh, are so disconnected from any form of nature, they can't even go and sit in a park. You know, it's too confronting. Wow. So there, there are people, rewilders, who actually sign up like a personal trainer for helping people to re-engage with nature. So you start off. It's insane, right? You start off, you know, they'll take you apart for five minutes or 10 minutes with no phone, Uh which is just crazy talk, right? And then, of course, and by the end of the year, you're doing an overnight sleep in a national park a couple of hours out of Tokyo. Wow. You go, oh, well, that's all kind of cute, but really, it's, surely it's, it's kind of crap, right? It's not really going to happen. There are thousands of these rewilders in Tokyo alone. This is, this is not a, and it's spreading around the world. This, this is not a, oh, that's kind of cute. This is a reality. Now, yeah. each of those people aren't working for rewilder 
proprietary limited, they're going to be yeah. working for themselves. They're going to be like a personal trainer or like a coach or whatever. And, and I think there are going to be lots and lots of these kind of new careers. You know, um, the, 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 there are hundreds of these kind of new things and they, most of them revolve around teaching, coaching, sharing, assisting in one shape or another. And that's going to be the real kind of opportunity, I think, that we're going to start to see in that space, providing help and resources for people like a retirement manager. You know, they're going to be a retirement coach. You know, this, they're already around. We're seeing people that are coaching people into retirement, finishing up at work and then transitioning into, into your new life. So, you know, you avoid the statistic of people dying six months yep. after they finish work. As much as it's complicated, I also see great opportunity in the future, but it's not going to be opening another fashion store on High Street. It's not going to be as much of the traditional stuff that we, we're looking at. And, and I, I find that kind of fascinating. It is super fascinating. Oh my goodness, I've just taken so many notes, but now to go back and where to take this because one of the things, you know, going back and we were, you were talking about people could find you in your business when it was a local business and I actually have a lot of clients that have been in business and are now transitioning into the way our coaching business or consulting business now and that's one of the biggest problems that they find was before they could you would probably know this too. I used to put an ad in the yellow pages. I was just about to, you remember yellow brands. pages? I, yeah, that's right. I paid my $25,000 for my display ad to make sure I was right at the top of the listing, you know, and I did my letterbox drop at, you know, at the right time of the year to make sure that it all worked. So the interesting part of that was I actually used to spend more money on marketing back then than what I spend now. Yeah. But I'm spending more time now. That's the difference. And a lot of people are saying, I don't have the time to do social media. And I don't think that that is the right thing to be saying because that's where, that's where the future is. That's where people are. It's not going anywhere in, you know, anytime soon. It's going to change. I'm not saying it's not going to change. It definitely will, but it's going to be in some form or another online and that if you don't want to spend the time to be building your brand online, then you need to be spending the money for someone else to do it for you. And don't think about it in, you know, in a cost factor now, because we just had different costs back in the 80s it's, and the 90s. I mean, I, I saw someone presenting the other day at a conference talking about this whole thing. Oh, you know, these days marketing is great. You don't have to spend any money. And I remember those days too, you know, I remember the first time I took like a 25, imagine that. 20, for those who have Imagine never that, done that. That's probably like $75,000 now, just to put that in perspective, right? I'm going to try and find one of my old ads and actually use it on a slide and say, you know, this is 25 grand for this. And you're right, yeah, we could spend 18 hours a day now with social media, creating content, you know, doing all this stuff. It was a lot easier to do a one-page, a half-page ad in the yellow pages and say, okay, I wanted to say this, open seven days best dive shop in the world, rah, you know, rah, rah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and, do it. and then the yellow pages worked all year round, you know, yes. and, and there were times there where if you weren't in the yellow pages, your business would, you wouldn't survive. You had to Correct. be, yeah. but it, it died relatively quickly. And I always smile when I see yellow pages online now, you know, kind of going, oh, isn't that cute? You know, like, a, 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 like, you know, they're like the taxi industry. You know, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, oh, that's cute. You know, but there's a thing called Uber that's come along and disrupted it. But, but it's a fascinating kind of thing because what it also means, and the other, the other interesting part about this, Sam, again, I think that you would see is that a, a lot of the clients, a lot of people that I talk to at conferences and things like that are like that shoulder generation. 
And many of us have been back in the, the newspaper and the maybe not so much yellow pages, but some to a large degree. But and and they're kind of going, well, you know, it's I, I got to learn this whole new skill set. You know, like I'm I'm used to be easy. I got to write. Con- I got to tell my stories. What the mm-hmm. freaking hell is that all about? You know, I got to learn how to how to. I got to write content every day. What what do I write about? Who cares? I'm a plumber. Who really cares about? You know, like I do plumbing. Does anyone really want to know my story, my my background? And the answer is yes. Yes. And there's a quote that I use everywhere. It's from Alvin Toffler, and it's um he wrote Future Shock for anyone who may have read it is listening in. And his quote is, you know, the illiterate of the 21st century won't be those who can't read or write, but those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. Oh my goodness, that is brilliant. And that is the best quote that is so relevant because. Every single day of my life, I got to spend at least one to two hours learning, unlearning, and relearning. I, I have to be, I'm constantly fine tuning my content offering. I'm fine tuning my, my speaker offering, my business offering, my website platforms that I might be using for doing my day to day business because it's not a static thing. And I, and I think that's what it was like in the past. You said it like exactly, Yellow Pages is actually a great example. You put your ad in, you close it off in October. The book came out in November. That was now 12 months worth of advertising. You were done and dusted and that was it. None of that works anymore. You know, like you do Facebook ads, you do whatever, your EDMs, your emails that you're sending, all of that stuff is constantly being fine-tuned and changed and evolving. And that that's hard. That's hard to have this constant state of evolution with our stuff, I think. Totally. But this is the way people find us. And you were talking about the future of work actually being entrepreneurship. And I'm with you. I've been researching the stats. By 2050, it's like 80% of the globe's population will be freelancing. Now, I've had a lot of people sort of give me the Sam, that's BS. Mostly they work in HR, funnily enough. (laughs) (laughs) I got into a bit of a funny tiff on LinkedIn with an HR manager that told me I didn't know what I was talking about. And I don't know, and that's the thing, right? But we do need to look at what is the data in front of us? What does that look like? And I'm even, you know, you and I were talking before we were recording what I've seen in the corporate just just in Australia and just in the last 12 months, and it is thousands of jobs being shed. And those people, if they're being shed across all, all of the different companies in the same industry, then where do those people go and get work? That job is no longer there. And that is the future and it's already here. Mm, I agree. It is already here. And those people still need to pay rent or mortgage or, you know, electricity and food. Where do they go to get money? They have no option right now than to go into their own business. And I think the biggest opportunity right now is for every single person, every single person to be working on their personal brand. Mm-hmm. And you're a speaker, author, all of those things, I think that people need to be thinking about doing that no matter where they're at. They need to like figure out what their genius zone, what is their their one thing and start really setting up their brand to be that person. Because you were talking about, what was the name of your book? I didn't write that down quickly enough. Oh, it's, uh, someone's got to be the most expensive. It may as well be you. Absolutely. And everyone needs to find that one thing and they need to figure out what their uniqueness is in, in that. But also to understand that even when you are the best, you're not automatically just going to be found. You know, it's not about build it and they will come. It's like build it. Let's be really awesome at it. Let's completely research everything, be relevant. But we also need to tell people we're there. 
We need to be marketing machines. We need to be media machines. And I agree. And, and, and I, for me with that, that concept is really around the future-proofing element for me. One, and why I'm, I've written that book in that space right now is because I still think there's so many people, I, I think it's a false belief, thinking that they've got to be the cheapest to get business. I, I think it's the exact opposite. I, I think there's never been a better time to charge what you're actually worth because I think people people will track you down as long as you're, you're right. You know, if you don't have a website, no one's going to find you. If you don't have, you know, a social media profile, it's, you're, making, you're just making it harder for people to find you. But I have spent a lot of time around the world looking at these people and saying, well, they actually kind of future-proof themselves. The fact that they are so good at what they do. And, and this is another thing, you know, you've really got to aim for mastery. You know, mm-hmm. and I know that's a bit of a cliche. Well, you, well, you can see it in the background here. It's one of my... Yeah. One, <laughs> I love seeing that. You can't be crap at what you do and expect to make really good money out of it and build a successful business because it's too easy for people to say online, you know, mm-hmm. Andrew's crap at what he does. Don't buy you know, yeah. and we will believe a Google friggin' uh, review more than what you're going to say on your website about how awesome you are. So you're right. I think it's a really interesting point, Sam, about this whole kind of now's the time to be building your personal brand. You know, now's the time to be kind of thinking a bit about this because the other element of it is that we're not talking about 20 years into the future and we're not talking about, you know, Sarah Connor and, and, uh, and, and you know, the, the, the future of, in that kind of thing. We're talking yes. about right here, right now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and all of this stuff that is happening that in terms of the, the changing workforce, the changing business landscape, the, the opportunities is today, 2019 and 2020. This is a pivotal time. If you're in business now, that's the time where it's not so much a matter of pulling out the crystal ball. It's a matter of actually sitting down and having a long, hard think. Lock yourself away for a weekend, go somewhere with a big piece of paper and a pile of Sharpies and go, right, what is the future of my customers? What 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 does it look like in two or three years' time? What are what are they going to be? How am I going to future-proof myself? How am I going to stay relevant with my audience? How am I going to keep coming up with them? Am I saying it? Because once you lose relevance with your audience, you will never, ever get it back. And that's the big challenge. Because, not because you're necessarily doing anything wrong, but because something bigger and brighter comes along. And that's the world that we live in now. Someone is going to do something better. They're going to do it maybe cheaper, maybe not, but they, it's going to be more appealing, proven now that, that people will go to that and we have a great appetite for new. Now, there was a time that we wouldn't want to do something because, oh, no, I stick with that person. You t- I, you know, And you look at that and go, okay, if you had a brain issue of some sort, <coughs> you turn around, you looked at two brain surgeons. You could work with a guy who's been doing it for 50 years or the hotshot who's just finished, has just come out of university with the latest, greatest. Now, us being a bit older, we tend to go with a guy who's been around for 50 years and, you know, and because he's all this experience, et cetera, most millennials, 85, 90% will go for that one year person. And yes. I'm starting to do that too, because I'm going to go, they're going to have the latest, the greatest, the newest techniques. They haven't got all that old expertise. Do they need that? You know what I mean? Like, do, is that really an advantage? You know, sure, it may be, but are the new techniques, are the new latest cutting edge things, is that more of an advantage? So my point being, I've already kind of disheveled the whole being the cheapest is a terrible strategy. The next terrible strategy is say, well, I've been doing this for 100 years. Uh-huh. And that's what those of us who have been doing something for 100 years have to be careful of. 
You know, I mean, I talk about I've been in business for 35 years. I've been speaking, blah, blah, blah. That's all nice for a lot of my market. But for a lot of my other market, it's kind of, well, you're just going to get up and talk about the same old boring crap. You know, you're kind of old. I want someone new. I want cutting edge. I want to find out what's happening in the world of AI, not the world of letterbox deliveries. (laughs) So we have to be, pack yourself up, go somewhere and think is to be really, what what are we going to do now? If I can just tell a a short story there, another trip of mine to Japan, not saying Japan has all the answers, but I've had some incredibly profound moments in Japan doing studying business. And I met a guy who his company supplies Toyota with stuff. Mm -hmm. So back when Toyota started, they were a textile company and they made sewing machines. So his company made parts for the sewing machines. Mm -hmm. When they got into cars, his company made parts for cars and so on. And I did a tour of this guy's plant and the grandson of the founder was there and we could ask him questions through a translator. And my question was simply is how have you managed to survive all these years, a long, long time, 80, 90 years in business in a you know complicated and changing environment? And he said, it was really interesting. He said his grandfather who started the company did something which they carry on to this day. And every single day, Three employees, and they've got thousands now, are picked out randomly. They, they get together and their job is to just sit and think and talk about one concept. And that concept is, what are we going to sell when people no longer want to buy what we're selling today? Oh, that is so cool. Now, that's a big thought. And, and so, their idea is saying, okay, well, we've got all this skill sets. We've got all this equipment. We've got all this stuff that we have because we supply Toyota. But if Toyota no longer wanted to buy that stuff from us, you know, where can we use these skill sets? What do we need to be doing? So not only have they constantly evolved and kept up with Toyota, and Toyota do many, many things apart from make cars, this company supplies right through to making satellites and things like that. This company makes, you know, makes parts, makes things for them. But even that saying, well, you know, what happens when people aren't buying as many cars? If 80% of our company is based on supplying a, a, a gizmo for a Toyota. What are we going to do when Toyota says, well, we're reducing our cars by 80% because of autonomous cars and all the rest of it? What's that going to translate to? And I think we need to have more of those conversations. You know, we get so caught up in our day to day doing crap and just doing what we do. I don't think we take a step back and pose these questions enough. Like, mm-hmm. what, what is my industry going to look like? Again, we were chatting about this before. If your career is an Uber driver, if that's your business, it does not have a longevity to it. No, it's going to be gone pretty soon. It's going to be gone pretty soon. If you, you know, um, you, you know, you think think a little bit about this. Every industry, every business, everything there 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 is a limit to it. Even things that are staples that we still got to have chemists and food and all that kind of jazz. They have to constantly evolve more than anything. Mm-hmm. Simply because we have so much expectation on things evolving and new and all the rest of it, they have to just to keep up. You start going into Coles and Woolies all the time, and it's same, same. Whilst there's a familiarity with that, there's also a boredom factor, and it's kind of like oh, there's nothing, nothing new, nothing exciting. And yeah. we're now conditioned for new and exciting. I mean, I look at that, and that's the thing that I find fascinating. Look how the travel industry has changed in the last fifteen years. You know, and you go, well, does it has it made travel agents redundant? No, but it's made travel agents more specialised. We yes. go to the travel agents to book our twenty or $30,000 European extravaganza to a large degree, but we're not going to book them to go to the Gold Coast for the weekend. There's so many changes that are happening. And on top of that, we've got to throw in the hipster factor. And to me, 
I absolutely adore hipsters. The millennials who I believe are reinvigorating industries. Yes, there's they a lot are. of clues in there. So it's there. There wouldn't be a cup of coffee served in Australia, a decent cup of coffee served in Australia that doesn't have a beard and a tattoo somewhere in the supply chain, right? So, <laughs> and especially in Melbourne, where you're from, right? <laughs> well, I just moved from Cairns, Sam, and Cairns is the second biggest hipster hotspot in Australia, apparently. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, and I don't know where they are, but they're obviously in little hipster communities. But, you know, <laughs> I love hipsters, and I'm I'm a frustrated older hipster. I think deep down, but I, but I look at them and I go, you know, they are reinvigorating industry. So they've reinvigorated the cafe. They're reinvigorating the food scene. They're yes. reinvigorating hipster accountants now. Uh, awesome. I, I I do. One of my clients is writing a book. Is a hipster, um, a hipster uh, financial planner. That's his so cool. This thing is not trying to flog you an insurance policy in the old. You know, financial planners, I'm sorry, but they're pretty lazy in my view. They made a lot of money from my experience. They made a lot, a lot of money, you know, in, in a way that was relatively easy. This guy is about financial, you know, literacy. His whole job is he's, he's working. He's sitting down with his, with his clients and it's like accountability. You say you want to buy a house, you need to get 150 grand in the bank. Okay. And yet you're still spending $30 a day on frigging lattes. Okay, and, and it's at that level. He's having yes. dinner with the family on Friday night going, right, you've got to start shopping a bit wiser. And it's just hilarious because he's so passionate about it. But he said, we've got to get their finances in order now so that they're going to actually be able to acquire and build some wealth as they get older. And they've got kids. They've got this. So he is a teacher. He's a coach. He's a money coach. He's this off the back of Scott Pape's, you know, incredibly successful. And the only people who ever complain about that book Financial, financial planners. planners. They're the only ones who slag it off. <laughs> yeah. You go, well, really? This is, you know, and I'm sorry for any financial planners that listening, but I've done a lot of work in this space and the, and it's it's a typical example of an industry that didn't evolve. It's yes. to the taxi industry. Had a good run for a long time. The world changed and moved on. If you don't evolve with it, you'll get left behind. It's not just that industry. Look at everything from butcher stores. Again, you'll rarely see a butcher without a hipster behind it. You know, you're really, and, and this is, again, what are hipsters bringing to the equation? And I'm quite serious when I say it's a hipster revolution. They're bringing passion back into businesses, into industries. They're bringing a sense of playfulness. Mm-hmm. They're, they're bringing a sense of quality as well. Mm-hmm. I yes. said tattoo and a beard, I think quality. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> I've never thought about that because so right. You know that you're going to get the detail. Exactly. And, and I look at that and I just had a thought that I've got to write down there. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I write and I talk about the hipster revolution. I'm going to write a book about this. I have to write a book. People are queuing up in Melbourne for a $75 shave, right? Oh, and you look wow. into these little barbers, again, it's a sea of tattoos and beards. And even the, the female hipsters, are, you know, they've got a passion. There's a sense of fun. You walk in, they look you in the eye and say, how you doing, dude? You know, and it's kind of like, you know, and, and give you a chair because you look like you're a grandfather. <laughs> and they go, you want a full shave? You want this? Yeah, 75 bucks. And yeah. you kind of go, okay, I, I, I want to. I've been to India. I paid 13 cents for a shave and a post-massage black and decker, you know, freaking thing on my face. And yet I would pay that money for a shave simply because someone's got the audacity to ask for it. <laughs> simply because it's got to be amazing and simply because it is amazing. You go, and, and you've got, they're lining up out in the streets. Yes. And, and, and so you look at that and, I, and I'm going, so what would hipsters do in my business? 
Ask yourself, if you were a hipster, what would you do? Get a hipster to come in and say, how would you revolutionize this? Hipster coaches is a growth industry, I reckon. Teach us how to hipsterize our business. Because <laughs> there, 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 are, there are so many interesting things about this. I think, again, I, I look around now and I, and, I, and I think there's so much to be learned and so much to be grateful for because a lot of businesses are kind of ringing it in. A lot of industries, you know, we were talking about fashion before. You know, you walk into a fashion retail <coughs> store and most of them, there's a whole pile of stuff on hanging. Someone walks up, can I help you? The same thing that was- And they don't even mean it when they say, can I help you for a start. <laughs> exactly. And they're hoping you're going to say no. Yes. You know, I was in the tourism industry for, for quite a few years and I've been having this thing in Cairns. It's all about tourism. And I got up and I did this presentation at the Chamber of Commerce up there a few years back and I, and I, and I held up. This is a brochure from 1965. This is a brochure from 2017. The only thing that's changed is the font. We're still flogging exactly the same thing, you know, reef and rainforest, but we're not the only place that's got some reef and rainforest. There are many other places that are cheaper, closer, more cosmopolitan. You know, you've got Costa Rica, you've got, you know, all the belt around the world from the Maldives to all the rest of it. If we just keep flogging that we've got reef and rainforest, we're going to be in trouble in a few years. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I, I'm not trying to be an I told you so. This to me is so predictable. But now the tourism industry in Australia is actually in trouble, you know, and it's because everyone thinks the reef is dead. There's a question I get asked more than anything else when I'm travelling overseas. Is it worth going to Cairns or to Australia to see the Great Barrier Reef? I've heard it's dead. Yeah. You know, and, and if all you market yourself on is the fact that you have got a reef and the rest of the world thinks it's dead, it doesn't take a lot of intellect to kind of go, well, that industry is in trouble. Yeah, yeah, totally. So there's a whole pile of things. You, you roll all of that together. And, and I think, again, what it tells me, Sam, is that we need, to, we need to take a step back and be thinking about what the future is in our industry. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is it going to look like in, in two or three or four or five years' time? We cannot sit back and go, oh, that's, you know, I'm 50. That's going to happen after I've retired and, you know, 60. Yeah. You know, it, that's the da- most dangerous thinking you can have is that. Yeah, well, not only that, because if we're 50, that's still like 25 years, even if you just want to work, you know, 20 years, even if you want to work to, you know, I'll put in air quotes, retirement age, which I also think that this generation is going to be working past that because we need to. Absolutely. So you think what you achieved in your first 30 years of your life, you went to school, you went to uni, you started a business, you had a job, you got married, you had kids. Now imagine that whole 30 years again on top and you're saying, oh, it doesn't matter, it's going to be gone soon. Like think about that seriously. I agree. Like 30 years, I think that we can get caught up thinking, oh, well, life's short. But when you really like, I think that that's almost a fallacy. Like life is actually long. We've got maybe 100 years where we could do something. How much can you fit into that? Let's stop thinking life is short and, like, get out there and do it. Well, exactly. And, and that's another interesting point, though, <coughs> is the, the rise of the, you know, the, the greypreneurs, the silverpreneurs, you know, it's all, you know, white, silver and wise concept um, it, it is all around that whole, you know, that people are 60, 65, and they're kind of being forced to retire and going, well, I'm not ready to grow petunias. And I haven't really got the resources to travel around the world first class for the next 30 years. Yeah. What am I going to do? I'm healthy. Yeah. I've got some money. I've got all my life experience there. So what am I going to do? You know, do lawn bowls every freaking, you know, it's like it's, 
that is not retirement for people, you know. So that's why there's this huge rise in the number of silverpreneurs, you know, who are you know looking at opportunities and, and helping others to transition and start business. That's why it is it's such an exciting time to be an entrepreneur, but it's also a complicated time, you know, and and that's the reality. And I think we have to, it's very easy to get caught up in the complicatedness and that we've got to be looking towards the future, but we've also got to be keeping it simple. Totally. I've got to get my message really clear. I've got to build a great brand. I've got to create great content that's going to be meaningful and relevant to other people. I've got to know that what I'm offering is what people want. I've got to build a community and be really engaged, not just throw stuff at them all day because, that's not engagement. That's just regurgitating stuff half the time. I've got to build a great community. I've got to offer an extraordinary experience, however I can in my business. And I've got to constantly be looking for ways to, to introduce new ideas, new thoughts, new energy, new thinking into what I'm doing, whether I'm a butcher or whether I'm, you know, the, the latest tech startup that's going to be sold for a billion dollars in a week. Totally. And that's it. That's it. Totally. Where I want to finish up, because I'm aware that you're busy and I know that we could, we could chat all day if I had my way, but mm-hmm. is just going back slightly to a conversation that we had probably about 20 minutes ago around the people that are, you know, our generation. We have a large expertise, but there are these people. I've got, I know kids that are like 8, 9 and 10 that already ha- have got their personal brand in control. They've already got their YouTube channel started. They're already branding themselves and, and a lot of them could probably make more money than a lot of adults right now because they, they or, they've got a grasp on it. But there is a whole generation of people like us that has an expertise that whilst we can't rely on that, it also is a very big leg up. It is. What are your parting comments to the people that are listening that are in that generation that do have a really great expertise that they want to share but need to become relevant? What's a message or something that you can share with them? I think there's a couple of things. The first thing is I think that imposter syndrome is is such a a huge uh, and impacting thing on people these days is you've got to realise whatever your set of skills and experiences and all that stuff is, no one has the exact same realizations, experiences, aha moments, bazinga moments, whatever it is. And that's what is your value, you know, is is your interpretation on that. It's a great, (coughs) pardon me, it's a great asset to be able to teach people what it is that you figured out. And I think that there, that there's a huge demand for that. It's not just the Tim Ferriss's and the, you know, Michelle Bridges or whatever it is of the world who are teaching stuff. We want to know how you do what you do. How, How do you do what you do in your business, Samantha? That's what I, that's why I teach people to write books because people say, well, how have you done that? How have you become a successful speaker? How have you been successful in business? So I think we've got to start by appreciating what we actually have and what we know and look at it as resources. The second thing is I think you've got to be building a community and I would recommend a fabulous book called Content Inc., which if you haven't read it, it's from the guy from the Content Institute in New York. I always forget his name. And the whole principle is to work on building your tribe now before you start your business. If you've already started your business, well, if you don't have a tribe, you don't have a community that's really engaged and loves you and, and likes your stuff and, and you're helping, you're serving that community, but you're also leading it, who are you going to sell your stuff to? Yeah. You're not going to sell it on Facebook ads. You know, you've got to have a community and I've worked hard to build mine over the last 10 years and I tell you, they, 
my community is what feeds me. It's what nurtures me. It's what protects me. It's what who fights for me, all that kind of stuff. So you, you've got to have all of that in place uh, as well. So, and then the third part of it is that, you know, learn, unlearn and relearn every single day. You've got to stay so, so connected to what's happening. So me spending an hour or two a day researching, learning, unlearning, it's going to websites, researching what people are talking about, reading the latest stuff in my space. It's really staying connected. I miss that for a, a couple of weeks and I, the, the world has moved on. Yes. You know? So that's just the nature of it now is we have to be so connected to our space. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess that's the kind of stuff that I'm, I would close off with, Sam, around that and that whole concept of we've got to put better thinking in. Every once in a while, you just got to be stopping the doing and just step up take a bird's eye view of everything that's happening, what's going on in the industry, and you've got to start to make some predictions for your industry. And you go, oh, I don't know how to do that. That's hard. Is it really? Yeah. Is it really hard to kind of make predictions about, you know, look at tech, what difference that's going to make, look at what's happened to similar industries. Like if you're in an advice industry, you know, a lawyer, an accountant or whatever, just look to financial planning and see what's changed. Yeah. Look to AI. They're saying lawyers will be replaced by AI. You know, like, I mean, I don't know whether that's 100% true, but to a large degree, it will, what does that mean? Well, what can you be teaching people if you're a lawyer? How can you help? What skill sets have you got that you can bring into play? So it, it's an opportunity-filled world, but you need to put a bit of really good thinking into taking advantage of those opportunities is my take. Yeah. Oh, wrapped up so beautifully. Andrew, it's been an amazing conversation for people that want to stay connected with you. How can they learn more about what it is you do and, and connect with you? Sure. Just uh, you can visit my website, andrewgriffiths.com.au. LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn, connect with me, you know, on Facebook, whatever it might be. You know, I'm, I'm easy to find. Google me. You'll find me. <laughs> I love it. Staying relevant. <laughs> Brilliant. Andrew, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today. Thanks for going down the rabbit hole with me twice. I so <laughs> appreciate you and uh, everything you bring to the table. It's been fantastic. Uh, it was so funny and we were wondering if we had enough to talk about after <laughs> our, our off-air conversation. And, we did. And, and we're, we're struggling to finish. I know, I know. I've had to cross out most of what I've written here because I'm like, you know, we don't have time for that. So, you know, I'm going to have to invite you back on the show. Love to. Anytime, though. Anytime. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, listeners. Do you want to grow and scale your business so you can make an even bigger impact? One of the reasons I've been able to achieve the success I have over the years can be attributed to one simple factor, surrounding myself with like-minded people people who think big like me, who have a desire for growth and who understand the challenges we face when growing and scaling a business. That's why I've created a free community especially for thought leaders and experts just like you and I'd love you to join us. Just request access to my free Facebook group at Thought Leaders Inner Circle. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love you to share this on your favourite social account. Just head to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast Click on your favorite episode and you'll see the buttons right there to share the love. And as this show is new, I would love, love, love you to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Listener.